0: Hi, my name is Juwana and I'm
1: a fourth year at UCLA. Hi, I'm Talisa and I'm also a fourth year at UCLA. And I'm Nell,
2: I'm a fourth year as well.
3: And I'm Daisy and I'm also a fourth year. Um, so today we're just going to be talking about kind of our general thoughts, um, looking back on what we've completed this quarter and kind of what we hope to see moving forward. Um, and just kind of some of our main reflections. Um, So first we're gonna start off by just talking about our initial thoughts going into the project. Um, I know our perspective on measure 109 in Oregon and just psychedelics in general has changed a lot over the course of these past 10 weeks. Um, And I know for me at least when I first started uh, working on this project, I mainly was just very enthusiastic about kind of the whole subject topic I think I only had a very positive perspective on what psilocybin can do for our mental health, Um, but little did I know there was so much more to the whole um, area of this subject topic in addition to both sociocultural factors um, as well as biological factors. So that was kind of my perspective moving in. Um, What about you guys?
2: Yeah, well, I think when, when you propose this topic, and I think maybe later on, it would be great for Daisy to go sort of a little bit into detail about how she chose this topic since um, the, the she was the origin point for this um, whole project, and it was her idea um, to take on Measure 109. Uh, but my knowledge prior to this project was really just about like psychedelics in a cultural setting and not so much in a medical setting. And um, while I knew that Oregon was passing some really progressive legislation. I mostly knew about their decriminalization of all drugs. I didn't know um, so much about Measure 109 and um, the use of psilocybin for um, uh, mental health treatments. And in fact, I didn't even know what psilocybin was until Daisy proposed this project. So I think that my learning curve has been really, you know, I started out by reading a lot of material that just sort of like gave me a baseline understanding of the history from like the 60s on on to today, and then also the recent medical research. Um, And and just from a legal perspective, how interesting it is um, for this to be happening in Oregon who has been on the cutting edge of um, the liberalization of drugs uh, for decades now.
0: yeah I would say that my knowledge on psychedelics prior to this project were very limited and I wasn't even aware I had heard of mushrooms or shrooms when they're talked about in a cultural setting Um, But I didn't know that psilocybin was the main ingredient and I didn't know that it could have an impact in medicine. Um, And while I didn't know a lot about psychedelics, I was aware of like the large negative stigma, especially concerning shrooms and psilocybin being that active ingredient. Um, So it's been interesting to see my opinion change into a more positive one after all the research that we've done.
1: yeah at the start of this project i knew close to nothing about psilocybin and even things like shrooms um i think it's also because i didn't um i found it like taboo to talk about things like lsd or ketamine or like any other psychedelics because they are banned in a lot of countries and places um and they have this sort of um negative History attached to them. Um, but when I was researching the various um, studies um, that showed the benefits as well as the risks and also um, the possibilities of using psilocybin assisted ther- therapy, I was, I think, surprised, but also floored at the fact that I didn't realize how much of an industry and um, I think like. I guess like a game changer to our healthcare system and our medical uh, medical system like psilocybin would be and is becoming, um, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's really cool to hear um, all of your guys' thoughts going into the project. Um, I think going back to what Nell said about the origins of the project, I think it's interesting how I started with a very positive outlook on it versus while you guys had a very different outlook on it and I think partially it's just because I've had lots of positive anecdotal evidence from friends and family and it just so happened that measure 109 was being passed um, just a couple months ago um, in the fall during the election season and it felt like this was a great opportunity to finally dive into something that was always in the distance. Um, and I knew I never was gonna have another opportunity to really just like focus in on kind of like an obscure topic, even though it's not becoming, it's not necessarily obscure anymore. Um, So I think that kind of leads into our next subject topic, which is um, what our favorite parts of the project was, because um, I think we all had a very one-sided view of psilocybin and just psychedelics in general when we first started, but now we have a very multifaceted view of all of the different sectors that go into implementing Measure 109, as well as just the cultural shifts that might have to happen if we want to really legalize it or bring it to more of like a larger scale. Um, So I know um, for me, at least, something that I found to be very interesting was the conversations that we had about the sourcing of psilocybin and um, kind of how patenting might actually be a bit damaging to certain groups of people, um, just because it's not necessarily paying or it's not necessarily uh, a a through line method for, um, I guess, fulfilling repercussions for a lot of the indigenous groups that have played a pivotal role in bringing psilocybin to the Western world, um, especially in the US. And it's also interesting because it brings back uh, Brings into another topic of nature and how um, whether or not we should be, I guess, commodifying plants, but you know most of our ingredients are from plants anyway, so it just seems like this is a very vivid um, topic to use as like an example as a gateway to discuss all these various
2: problems. Um, Yeah, what about what about you guys.
0: I would say likewise, I mean, the discussion of the legalization or the medicalization of psilocybin and all the different implications that might have versus like the cost of what it would be to get um, psychedelic mushrooms on the streets like today versus what it would be to get medicalized psilocybin. And that is just a huge cost difference, for example. And along with the medicalization and its legalization um, goes hand in hand with like the history and who bought psilocybin to the Western world and whether or not we should credit them, um, whether that be money-wise or um, just credit their names, um, such as the Indigenous communities um, and how history is tied to, yeah, the legalization, medicalization of psilocybin.
2: Yeah, I think what what really interested me is I, I come at health and at the whole HBS major from a very, like, uh, the legal side of things. I'm interested in health policy. I'm interested in in that side of it. And so this topic really lent itself to my interests because um, it's a health issue, but it's coming from a ballot measure. Um, and so I really enjoyed getting to sort of dive into like reading the text of the bill and um, that sort of stuff. And, and I think it was also really interesting to sort of see how other things that I've learned about in college were so applicable to this in a way that like when something is new and cutting edge almost everything that we've learned about other uh, aspects of health sort of can be brought back up and for me that was that I've been working for a long time in a uh, lab that deals with federally federally qualified health centers and after working for you know several weeks doing research about how to make access to cell um, services equitable it crossed my mind I was like wait, what if, what if we use federally qualified health centers that are already providing mental health services to um, communities that are hard to reach and um, need really culturally informed care. Um, so I enjoyed sort of the way that such a new topic, there's not a lot of literature. So it, it involves thinking, using our own um, knowledge that we've developed in college to address these issues. And I think that was what really made this a, a fun project was how much power we had to take it in any direction and be totally founded in whatever direction we take it because it's such a cutting edge issue.
1: I I found the topic of neocolonialism to be the most interesting. It's also the one that I I worked on um, and really focused on. And I think I found it interesting because, again, like I came into this project not knowing much besides the fact that shrooms were a thing um and mainly like in my mind they were a thing of like the 60s and the 70s um and once I started to dive into um the history and the background of neocolonialism tied to psilocybin um I couldn't believe that Well, one woman's story, Maria Sabina's, was like completely buried um, behind like a white man. Um, And so along with her, um, the Masatek community, as well as other different indigenous communities have been buried and they're kind of marginalized um, and excluded away from the discussions on psilocybin. Um, Yeah. And It was also interesting to read several studies on how best to, um, I guess, like fix the problems of the past so that we don't have to repeat history again, Um, whether that be including different indigenous communities um, on discussions regarding patents for psilocybin or um, ensuring that participants in research studies also represent communities of color um, and Indigenous communities so that they can also benefit from um, any findings and also ensuring that these communities don't also receive the benefits and profits from things like patents or um, the manufacturing of certain treatments. So, yeah.
3: Yeah, definitely. And I think just based on all the answers that we provided and just like the sheer amount of topics that we just touched on within each of our answers. It just shows how broad the the topic is and um, kind of how vast it it permeates into all these various different sectors. So um, moving on to kind of like our next topic in terms of like some challenges we faced, I think definitely it was very difficult trying to narrow down our scope in terms of what we could research and what kind of contentious topics we want to touch on because um, at the end of the day, we are interested in looking at the implementation of measure 109 in Oregon. Um, but at the same time, it's very difficult to ignore the long history of the psychedelic movement, like um, Jumana and Talisa talked about, um, as well as the history of the war on drugs, which um, Nell touched on briefly. And, um, and also just like the various amounts of psychedelics that are still being researched and have already maybe been used already in certain states in certain states for for health reasons. Um, so it was very difficult to narrow down everything um, and just to figure out kind of where we wanted to take our, I guess, nonprofit, or sorry, not nonprofit, um, our social enterprise um, proposal. Um, but yeah, what are some other challenges that you guys think we had to deal with?
2: I think that sort of my answer to that would be the flip side of what I said was my favorite part is that doing something that is more cutting edge means that there isn't always an answer to your question when you're researching something, whether it's, you can only find sort of like a new news source and no scholarly lit- literature, um, or, or even just not being able to verify something that you read from one source because it's only been written about by one person. Um, I think it, it sort of just made it a little bit more challenging to figure out what the consensus opinion on something was, um, and I, but in the same time, then like I said in my last answer, it gave us a lot of power to take the project how we wanted to, to take it and to sort of form formulate our own opinions and feel validated in formulating those opinions. Um, and I think we'll get to this later. But then when we had the chance to speak to Dr. Charles Grob, um, who is an expert, and speak with him in person, um, or you know over Zoom, that was really you know filled that gap that we had um been been seeing so I, I don't know what you guys will see as the challenge but that was definitely what i thought was the biggest challenge
0: i think i also had the same struggle in that there was a lack of not a lack of information but with something so new um such as psilocybin, especially in its use in mental health there's not um many testimonies for example like for me i would want to read how psilocybin has affected somebody and what mental health disorder they specifically had and what their trips made them do. But since, especially since Measure 109 is still in its developmental period, there hasn't been much to um, draw on from that, at least from personal experiences. And without that, it was kind of hard to make a solid footing in the theme that that we were trying to get across. But with that, we were still able to find a a lot of research on psilocybin and how it can help medically.
1: I would say that my biggest challenge was um, similar to Nell's where different sources that are also reputable like say slightly different um, things, um, especially when they're talking about history um, and indigenous communities because there's a language barrier, there's a culture barrier, um, and there's also the time barrier where these articles and these studies have been written decades later than um, the actual events. And I think I also found it challenging. Mine was more so a wealth of like information and having to organize it in a way that I don't repeat myself because Um, I think talking about, for example, like um, honoring indigenous communities and having to separate talking about the history and talking about the background um, of neocolonialism from talking about how better to, um, how to improve or how to ensure transformative experiences for every patient um, because ensuring that a therapist is aware of the history is also really important to someone's experience.
2: Um, Daisy, what about you? Oh, I I said in the beginning
3: that- Sorry.
1: uh, Can we cut the ums and the likes that I did (laughs) when talking? (laughs) I think you sounded fine.
3: But we can do that, though, if, if <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, no, I in the beginning, I just said. You had already um, gone. Yeah, yeah. Narrowing right, down. I totally forgot. <laughs> um, I'm trying to figure out how to transition to the next topic. There was something in my head, but then it left my head. <laughs> um,
1: was it like a question that's not on there?
3: no it was like someone brought up something about like um trying to remember because the next question's regarding like doing this project um during like a pivotal time and when it's gaining traction and i had something to like transition
2: (laughs) into that i mentioned dr grob in my part was that what it was
3: yes okay how should I, okay, how are we going to tie that back? Because this you, is want, you want
2: me to do it, I can say like circling back to what I'm, how I mentioned Dr. Grob yeah, earlier, yeah. um, I just want you to do it. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so circling back to something I mentioned in, in my past answer, um, we had an interview with Dr. Charles Grob of UCLA Harbor Medical, who is and has been for a long time at, at the forefront of the psychedelic movement for uh, researching its medical purposes. He's a trained psychiatrist and um, he has conducted a lot of research that has been really impactful in the field and so you know because of our ties to UCLA we were able to set up an interview with him and I know that for me the moment when we had that interview and talked with about these things we've been researching with him and asked him his opinions on measure 109 and his opinions for what we um, with our social enterprise should recommend was the moment that I realized oh my gosh what we're doing is really of the moment and that we're hitting on some things that he too sees as the most important issues. Um, And then it was also really cool to see um, that the same week we interviewed him, he was interviewed in the New York Times um, on a very similar topic. So I guess the next question we sort can go into is what did you guys think of that interview and what did you take away from it?
3: I think it was really helpful in that I think his perspective really grounded us because um, like Jumana, Nell, and Melissa previously mentioned, there aren't a ton of sources um, on how psilocybin can be beneficial for our health, um, both in like the social and biological sense. And because of that, and also because we're seeing kind of like a revival in the psychedelics movement, um, it's like a very hard hitting topic. There's just a wide array of very positive um, messaging on psilocybin and um, everyone's like really excited about implementing this into the mental health care system and that's great, Um, but, to doctor, but according to Doctor. Grab, he, you know, was also very cautious because I think he's been with this movement since the sixties and seventies when there was this like heightened sense of positivity towards psychedelics, and then suddenly it got shut down because it was kind of like at this tipping point. And for him, he's very cautious about also not trying to, um, you know, push for something that maybe the world isn't ready for yet because we do have to take things a little bit slowly at times. Um, and so, you know, he was saying how, it's great that we're really enthusiastic about it, but at the same time, we have to remember that there's still so much that we don't know. Um, and I guess like moving forward, we can just continue to ask questions and never forget that like, um, at the end of the day, these are substances and these are, you know, dangerous drugs in certain, set- in certain settings. Um, so we have to be careful with how we move
2: forward um, with our excitement on this topic.
1: I found the I really enjoyed the interview, um, especially because we interviewed Dr. Dra- Dr. Grob during a time where we were still unsure as to the direction of our project. Um, and after interviewing him, we I think we really, as a, like a whole, we felt really sure about where we where we were in our project. Um, and I discuss both sides of several aspects surrounding psilocybin and measure 109, um, whether it was the safety of patients or um, having shorter trainings to increase equitability or whether it was the setting in which patients would take psilocybin, um, whether that be a clinical setting or somewhere that's more open and um, I guess like in tune with nature and the natural environment, um, such as ayahuasca churches in Brazil. Um, but in the end, he, he really, um, he showed both sides, but he also um, stressed the importance of certain things slightly over the others, such as like the safety of patients. Like, are we really sure that we're prepared to implement psilocybin-assisted therapy in masses, um, and how can we ensure equitability without also sacrificing the safety of patients and therapists. Um, Yeah. I also really
0: enjoyed the interview with Dr. Grob. I think more specifically, I really enjoyed his um, talk about how Measure 109 would be implemented. So for example, he discussed Um, when there's going to be that therapist and patient interaction, what what should we require of the therapist? Should the therapist have taken psilocybin before so that they're more aware of what the patient's going to experience and what kind of ethics are going to be tied into that? So it just really highlights the fact that there's a lot of minute details that need to be taken into consideration in order to ensure a safe and equitable use of psilocybin in mental health therapy.
2: Right. And I think, sort of like going back to that point, it was very different to go from having read literature and having our own opinions. Like, we really thought equitability is going to be the most important thing. We need to make sure that this is in every community and that there's someone, you know, who is culturally competent for every community to be providing this care. Let's lower the barrier um, for what you need to become a therapist. That just from the literature we'd read, but very little of it. And then to talk to Dr. Grob, where he was like, yeah, that's important. But if if care isn't being um, offered or provided, guided in a way that ensures it is safe, these these experiences can be really dangerous. And if you have a handful of experiences that don't go well, the entire thing could be shut down, and therefore it's reaching no one. So to prioritize safety over equitability in order to ensure the longevity of the longevity of this uh, sort of whole pursuit, it really put it in perspective that we haven't been with this as long as someone like he has been. And it it just was really, there was so much to learn.
3: Yeah, we definitely really appreciate him for speaking with us and just giving us like that wealth of knowledge with, within just that short conversation that we had with him. And you know, while he was very cautious about kind of his way and his approach of um, how psilocybin or psilocybin assisted therapy would be implemented in Oregon, he was also very excited and I think we all are very excited to see kind of where this will go into the future, not just in Oregon, but also for the rest of the United States. Um, so with that, um, what did you guys, What would you guys say um, excited you the most about kind of what's happening in Oregon or the future of psilocybin assisted therapy or just psychedelics assisted therapy in the future? Um, what are your general thoughts on that? And kind of what are you um, looking forward to seeing or what you kind of hope to see?
0: I would say I'm excited to see how um, a similar measure would like pan out in other states in the U.S. because I know Oregon has kind of always been at the forefront of like these different um, this, this different research in psychedelics and different drugs. So what would psilocybin mental health therapy mean in California or like or versus a very conservative state, whether such a measure could or would be implemented to begin with. So I'm excited to see whether or not, um, if this is kind of successful in Oregon, if that same success can drag across the states. Yeah, and I think sort of even before that, I'm excited
2: to see what, you know, in January, 2023, when the development phase is over and measure 109, you know, goes into into real, is implemented for actual, you know, provision of care. What form it takes, and um, there's so many sort of ambiguous elements that you know these two years are designed to sort of iron out and create a plan. But right now, it's we don't know what that is going to look like. So I think come come January 2023, even though I will be far from doing this project, I'll be really interested to see how that looks. Um, But then I think one other thing on the flip side of what Jumana was talking about is I I focused on sort of how important decriminalization of drugs is along with the legalization for medical use because uh, without decriminalization the legalization for medical use can just sort of draw a more defined line into correct and incorrect use and further criminalize um, certain uses of drugs and so I'm curious whether in other states, potentially more conservative states that might pass psilocybin therapy for you know medical purposes, but would be less likely to decriminalize all drugs in the way that Oregon did, um, whether there might be sort of some more problematic elements because it's pretty important that Oregon did both at the same time, but it wasn't necessarily gonna pan out that way as they were both ballot measures that were voted on by the people.
1: I would say that I'm most excited for um, more organizations like the Ancestor Project, or also known as the Sabina Project to pop up because um, seeing BIPOC communities, especially um, indigenous communities take a stand and um, take charge of their place in psilocybin discussions is really inspiring Um, and it, it um it doesn't feel like history will repeat itself especially because these communities are much more informed and they have um i guess like the tools and also the um momentum to continue to take charge of like I guess, like their seat at the table. Um, So it's not no longer just going to be big corporations um, and pharmaceutical companies discussing psilocybin or other psychedelics without their input. Um, So yeah. And
3: for me, kind of going off of what um, Talisa just said, I think I'm just really hopeful that the uh, revival of the psychedelic movement and kind of what's happening in Oregon is going to kind of change the way that we see healthcare in general in the U.S. Um, I think Tulsa brought up a good point about this idea of momentum and the social movements that are coupled with what we're seeing in Oregon and I think it makes complete sense why this is happening in the beginning of the 21st century for us because, um, you know, there's a lot of issues that we're trying to resolve um, whether it's social justice, whether it's um, racial issues or the climate crisis. I think, what well, even though these are very, you know, broader problems that we're facing, um, they're all tied within each other. And I think um, shifting our healthcare into something that's more um, preventative and also like more long-lasting, rather than just feeding pills to people um, and just you know garnering funds for the pharmaceutical companies. I think it's really exciting that we're taking a push in a different sector um, to kind of. Cause a paradigm shift in how we view both healthcare and also just um, our environment and the people around us. So, hopefully, something like that will happen. <laughs> but I think it's already happening. So, um, um, so yeah, that wraps up our discussion for today. Um, before we end it here, we just wanted to say um, to remind you guys to check out our white paper. There's a lot more details about a lot of the topics that we talked about today. So it, it might, you know, help provide some clarity on kind of the issues that we. Um, touched on within each of our answers. Um, You can also check out our website. Um, There are tons of resources there for um, whether you're a patient or a therapist um, or someone who's just curious about the movement, you're welcome to hop onto our website to have access to both our white paper, um, our podcasts, um, our interview with Dr. Grob, um, and also, again, all of those resources. Um, And finally, we wanted to also thank Um, Dr. Groff for speaking with us. Like we had mentioned previously, it was a very, very rewarding conversation and we learned so much from him. Um, We also wanted to thank Professor Kelty for being an awesome professor for our last quarter at UCLA. It's been a lot of fun um, working on this project and being a part of this major um, and this class. And we really appreciate all the work that he put in to help guide us through this quarter. Uh, We also wanted to thank our TA Stephanie, who's also been really uh, helpful and awesome and um, really patient with us. And every week she gave us really great advice on how we could proceed with our project. Um, yeah, and finally, I also wanted to thank my amazing group members, Jumana, Delisa, and Nell. It's been really fun working with you guys and couldn't have asked for a better group. Um, hopefully we can meet each other in person one day. <laughs> you can cut that part out. <laughs>
2: Seriously. <laughs> well, and, and-